Okay, it's great to be here this morning. As Rich says, I'm usually down at 502 or Second Sight. Um, so it's nice to come worship with you guys and uh, just connect with you as well. So uh, good to be here. Uh, this morning we're continuing in our Good Living series from Proverbs 18. And this morning it's Good Attitude. And we're just looking at one verse from Solomon's Proverbs, verse 12. But although it's one verse, it packs quite the punch. And uh, it warns us of the consequences of pride and the rewards of humility. But the way that the Bible defines pride and humility can be quite different from the way that we might define it in our culture today. Claudio Ranieri this week has been celebrating his great success with his Leicester team. And he hasn't stopped saying how proud of his players he is. Yet at the very same time, He talks about the humility of the whole squad being one of the key factors to their success. Yesterday, Sadiq Khan was was appointed uh, as the mayor of London, and he spoke of his victory as both a humbling experience, but it also increased his pride as a Londoner. But the Bible holds these two things, pride and humility, in antithesis from one another. They're opposites. They repel from each other. And actually, we'll see that the, the very, at the very heart of the human problem is pride. And at the very heart of the human solution is humility. So turn with me to Proverbs 18. And we'll read from verse 12. It's page 376 in the Black Bibles. And I'll get untangled at the same time. Thanks, John. Okay, so page 376, Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can come to you and learn from your word. And Lord, right now, we just humble ourselves before you. We say, God, come, speak to us. Lord, take away anything that's going to stop us from hearing from you right now. Would you destroy it in Jesus' name? Lord, would you come now, speak to us clearly. Help me to um, proclaim you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Madonna. She's one of the most successful pop artists of all time, yet she said this during her interview in the New York Times. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess never will. My ego can never be satisfied. My sense of self, my desire for self-worth, my need to be sure I am somebody, it is not fulfilled. Madonna is imprisoned by her own ego, her own pride, her own haughtiness. She is never free. No matter how many goals she sets and achieves, she is still not free. 
And it all takes place as one of the most successful pop artists of all time. For us, though, there's no escape for us either. We might not be successful pop artists, but we know that she's not alone. Pride is the root of the human problem. Like a weed that grows quickly and aggressively, it is entangling every area of our lives. It's revealed in Genesis 3 when pride first raises its head in Satan's temptation to Eve. He says to her that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And do you know what? At the heart of the human problem is that all of us in some way want to believe that for ourselves. That our eyes will be opened and we will be like God to ourselves. Humans desire to be self-sustaining and reign over their little kingdoms with success, competency, and sufficiency. And so by nature, the pride in us causes us to repel from God, to, re- to run away from his godness and declare ourselves as God in our own lives. It rejects him as God over us and replaces him with our feeble attempts to reign. We look for answers from outside, uh, sorry, from inside rather than outside. We focus inwardly instead of focusing out to God and to care about others around us. David captured it brilliantly in Psalm 10.4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. C.S. Lewis said, all other sins are mere flea bites in comparison and that pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Instead of pride, Solomon's proverb here teaches us a much better way, a good attitude, which is humility. And we'll see that it does three things. It runs from pride, it runs to God, and it runs with perspective. So first of all, a good attitude runs from pride. Pride is a slippery customer just like the snake who appeared to Eve in the garden. Madonna had accepted defeat from her pride, thinking, well, that's just the way it is. But Solomon says, no, run from this. Flee your pride. Run away. The year I joined uh, the senior rugby team in my hometown, one of our best players had a problem with his back. And so he uh, he went for some physiotherapy and... um, it just kept persisting after months and months. It kept persisting. He just, he just couldn't get fit again. He couldn't be himself again. He thought it was just from a hit playing rugby, but it turned out there was something much more. Eventually, he started to get pains in his neck and then headaches. And then he decided he would go to the doctor. And unfortunately, he found out he had terminal cancer. But in the same way, we cannot be aware that some of the symptoms of pride in our life are pointing directly at pride, but we don't see it. And it it starts to take over us. It starts to dominate us. So as as uncomfortable as this might be, okay, we are going to go through a whole bunch of symptoms and uh, ask ourselves how we can flee from these symptoms of pride presenting themselves in us. Symptom number one, 
Do we find it difficult not to boast? Now, this one might seem like an obvious one, but it can be much more subtle than we might first realize. You may think you're just updating people, right? The classic is uh, the Christmas letter, right? Oh, uh, we're all fine here in our new fantabulous house. We, Jimmy Jr., aced his tests and complete, competed in this year's national tiddlywinks championship. And Jimmy Sr., he just got a promotion. They don't tell you about all the other stuff going on in their lives, do they? All the rubbish stuff, all the stuff that's not easy. Nowadays, you don't need a Christmas letter to post positive self-impressions. You can just update your social media, right? Of course, these can be done well, but let's just check our pride, check our motivations there. Why don't we um, check it against Jeremiah's words? Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. Symptom two, are we control freaks? Do we struggle when control is taken from us? Last week, uh, Lindsay and I had housewarming for some of our neighbors. And uh, just as we were preparing, all was going pretty well. Um, and one of the things that we'd prepared was we'd pushed the table in the dining room over to the side and we'd set up some cheese and biscuits. And this was my job, so I was working away at it. I got distracted, went and did something else, came back, came back into the room, and oh my goodness, the cheese was put in front of the biscuits. Can you believe that? What are our guests going to do? They've got a biscuit, or they've got cheese, but no biscuits. It's a disaster, right? So I very quickly moved it back. Very clever of me, moved it back, made sure it was all okay again. We're all right, we're all right. Then Lindsay's mom and dad very helpfully decided that they would come and help um, out with the rest of the preparations about half an hour later. And in a moment of foolishness, I relented my reign over the table for at least a minute. And Lindsay's dad had come in, he'd moved them back again, and he'd put dips in the middle and there was crisps in there and everything. Oh, so I waited until they all left the room, shuffled it all back together, and all was okay. Thank goodness, right? I was being a total control freak. It bothered me because I was so concerned about it looking the way I had imagined it would look. My pride was bubbling up and presenting itself as controlling. Let's be free from that. Now, I know that's a relatively trivial example, but there are all sorts of things in our lives that we might just demand control over and get really upset about. When actually, it doesn't matter if it's done our way. The only way we need to be concerned about getting it done for is God. We want to do it His way. Symptom three, do you enjoy laughing at others or seeing them fail? 
we have a cultural problem here, I think. We suffer from this enjoyment of cutting down those who have enjoyed success. One feature you can guarantee won't leave anytime soon from our popular magazines is of celebrities making a fool of themselves or showing that they have as much cellulitis as, a, as an ex-person. It's, it's really quite pathetic, isn't it? Does that comfort you? That's your pride needing a massage. Perhaps you enjoy tearing down your boss with your colleagues when you go for a drink after work, or you find yourself laughing at someone for making a mistake. Ha! How could you possibly not know that? That's your pride bubbling up. Instead of tearing down, why don't we teach ourselves Paul's words from the letter to the Romans? Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Symptom four, are you easily offended? Pride doesn't only present itself as the offender, it also presents itself as the offended. Are you easily hurt by people's comments? Do you sometimes hear things between the lines that maybe weren't necessarily there? Yesterday I was trying to fix Lindsay's new bike. It wasn't going very well. I was struggling with quite a few things. And uh, Lindsay quite innocently said, I'm not sure DIY is your forte, Ian. <clears throat> the response of someone with a good attitude holding these bits of bike in his hand he doesn't know what to do with, would be to chuckle and uh, have a laugh at himself. Because it's true, I'm not great at DIY. What I actually said was, what are you talking about? Yes, I am. Seek. <laughs> we all do these sorts of things, don't we? I think God was putting my preach into practice yesterday. I had to run from pride yesterday when I was trying to fix Lindsay's bike. Symptom five, is your pride the source of your anxiety? Are you an anxious person? Do you find that you can't stop worrying about yourself, about what others might think of you? Or are you worried that you're not gonna do something well enough? Does that cause you lots of anxiety? Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, I think he knew that we were gonna have lots of worries. With thanksgiving, present your request before God. Find yourself anxious about something? Hand it over to God. Remind yourself, you, in and of yourself, you're right, you're not, you're not that great. But God is. Hand it over to him. Pass on your anxieties. Symptom six. Do you ignore the poor? Do you ignore the poor? A proud person can live quite contentedly in their own little bubble, rarely looking out to meet the needs of others. Are you working to love the poor in Pool, Bournemouth, and around the world? If we understand the gospel, we will have recognized that at the very heart of it is a cry that goes out something like what David said in the Psalms, do not forget the poor and afflicted forever. Rescue me, Lord. Those who have truly come to terms with who they are, their own spiritual poverty, will not forget the poor in all different types. Okay, last one. Symptom seven. Do you ask others for help and prayer? 
The Bible makes it clear that we're to live out the gospel in community. Yet, when we have a problem, we often don't ask for prayer. At the heart of that is religious pride. It's the false belief that somehow we think we have it all together. We have it too much together to go and ask for prayer during worship time. Later on, when people go for prayer at the back, I want to see people who have never been for prayer before going for prayer. Leaders who think they don't need prayer on a Sunday morning, we do. Trust me, we do. I need lots of prayer. Guys, none of us are beyond prayer. We need to continually be asking our brothers and sisters to pray for us. A good attitude runs from these symptoms and many more symptoms because pride is subtle. There are lots of them. These are just some. Ask yourself, what am I doing that is a direct result of my pride? Run as fast as you can from it. But don't just run. Don't just run to anything. Make sure you're, make sure you're running to the right thing. It takes us to our second point. A good attitude runs to God. Our society supports this notion that we should constantly be boosting our own self-esteem, being mindful of all the good things in us. Now, these can help for a time, can't they? But actually, it's just a matter of time before we realize that we've just built on the sand and not the rock. A bit like Bournemouth East Cliff. If you were sat at Bournemouth East Cliff uh, a couple of weeks ago, you might have thought, this is steady ground. This is solid. I've got a nice view here. I feel comfortable. But actually, the cracks in our pride, just like the cracks in the East Cliff, are there. And it only takes one small thing. Someone may uh, say something to you that brings you down. You may um, realize that no matter how hard you, you try and tell yourself that your beauty is not fading with age, it, it does. And you may realize that um, something's just not going well in work or you've made a mistake somewhere. Guys, positive um, affirmation to ourselves isn't enough. We need more than that. We need something else. Freedom from pride can only truly be found when we stop looking to justify ourselves by our own actions. Stop looking in and start looking out. We have nothing to offer God in of ourselves. God is the only one who is perfect and righteous and good. Perfect in every way. That's why in John's gospel he says, He, Jesus, must increase, uh, increase but I must decrease. True humility does life with God. And it begins, begins by realizing our own mess, our brokenness, turning to God and just saying, Lord, I need you. I can't do this. I need you. Lord, help me. And then to run to God. That's why in verse 11, it talks about running into God's strong tower. True humility realizes we can't do it, but God can now, perfect humility, it, it has only been realized in one person, in Jesus. Fully deserving of every single thing in the universe to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. 
He deserves all of that, yet he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is true humility. Jesus is our great example of humility as to what it is to live humbly, putting others before ourselves, and to look up to the guidance of our Father. Don McLannan was the founder of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the United States in 1954. His obituaries this week have described him as a truly humble man. He had this vision for this organization to seek spiritual renewal of athletes all around the United States and that they would then proclaim Jesus in all that they did. He said in one interview, if if athletes can't endorse shaving cream, razor blades, and cigarettes, surely they can endorse the Lord. Guys, we've got to do exactly what Don McLannan was calling people to do. Run away from self-proclamation, from looking in, whether it gets us down or it results in boasting, whatever the symptoms are, and we've got to start looking out. We've got to start looking out at Jesus' self-sacrificing humility and try to live like him. Start looking up to God and relying on his strength instead of our strength. Pride's antidote is to look up to Jesus and see both his holiness and his grace. The great Baptist preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, said, Let us measure ourselves by our master and not by our fellow servants. Then pride will be impossible. Guys, we've been invited to the family dinner table. We weren't deserving of it. We've brought nothing with us. We've not even brought a bottle in our hands. We've got nothing, okay? But we've been invited to the dinner table, to the banquet, to feast with Jesus forever. He's brought us into the family, even though we removed him from being God in our lives and and rejected the godness of God and became our own God, trying to feebly become this pathetic uh, God of our own lives, yet he still loves us. He still brings us into the family. He still went to the cross so that we could come and feast with him. We can now come to him freely, dancing with joy. That is the grace on offer. Yet, let's remember where we've come from. Let's remember who we truly are. Let's remember how almighty, how holy, how good he is. And let's come dancing with joy and bowing reverently. That is the antidote to pride. Thirdly, a good attitude runs with perspective. This proverb of Solomon's has its ultimate fulfillment in the future. He had spent a lifetime pursuing happiness that, like Madonna's, didn't last and was never enough. He'd been the richest man on the planet. He could have any woman at the click of his fingers. He built incredible buildings and and gardens that could only have been imagined before he built them. His uh, worldly success could not be compared with anything that we see today. Yet in his old age, he finishes the book of Ecclesiastes by saying, The end of the matter, when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The humble are aware that their worries and problems are like a piece of grass being blown in the wind, here today and gone tomorrow. The humble have perspective because they know that God's great story doesn't end with them. It ends with this incredible return of Jesus where he will honor them. Even though they didn't deserve it, even though they didn't work for it, he will honor them because of what he did on the cross, because he was resurrected from the dead, because he ascended on high and he promised it to his disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, humbly receive that truth, that Jesus will call you home, that he will return and he will honor you. He will invite you to the family dinner table. Humble people recognize that God is in control and he will win. Realize that everything that pride has broken will be made new in his coming kingdom. The humble will enjoy God forever and their joy will know no limit. But the proud, on the other hand, they have no idea of the destruction that awaits them. They wake from their dream in an instance and realize that they are not as self-sufficient as they once hoped. Their pride will lead them to an eternal isolation from God. They'll remember the warning signs on earth that they took no notice of, that health scare, that sharp disagreement, the war-torn lies on the news, the greed of the powerful that took advantage of the poor. All of it pointing to a place where suffering will never end and the proud will get exactly what, what, what they want in the first place. A kingdom of their own and separation from God. Only it's, it's far more calamitous than they could ever have imagined. It leaves them in a perpetual state of battle with others and with an insatiable desire for more. The truth is, in hell, true contentment will always be beyond its residence. So if that's you today, if you're still in that place where you, you haven't put your trust in Jesus, you still think you can do it all yourself, if you haven't realized that this world is broken as a result of our own foolish pride, please consider Jesus. Consider the bigger story. Look outside of yourself to see that you cannot do it, but that Almighty God is offering you His help. Honestly, before Him, your righteousness is pathetic. But Jesus, creator of the world, humbled Himself to walk the earth and be beaten and crucified by the proud like me and you, in order to clothe you in his perfect righteousness in exchange for your dirty rags, proud of them as you may be. We'd love to pray for you during worship. So at the back, there's going to be an opportunity for prayer. If, if this is you and you, you feel like God's saying, I, I really do, I, I want to become a Christian. I, I see that I need God. I need God. I can't do this myself. At the back, there'll be people ready to pray for you. Christians, let me remind you that pride is slippery. 
You may have had a moment where you've humbled yourself before God and you've given your life to Jesus, but by, and by God's grace, he continues to forgive you and encourage you. But we need to continue to say, Lord, less of me, more of you. Model Christ's humility. Put others first as he put you before himself and his willingness to take the punishment you deserved. What pride is bubbling up in you? Again, don't be like the religious hypocrite. Come and receive prayer at the back. Pride is at the heart of the human problem, and Christ's humility brings about its solution. So, let's look to him for our answers. Let's run from pride. Let's run from